0: Hello and welcome back to another special research radio program that focuses on Dr. B.R. Ambedkar and his mission of achieving liberty, equality and fraternity. I'm Abhishek and in this week's episode, we'll discuss Dr. Ambedkar's approach towards countering patriarchy and casteism. Specifically, we'll examine legislation such as the Hindu Code bill spearheaded by Ambedkar, the need for specific clauses that take caste into account for all laws, and the role of upper-caste women in the national women's movement. My guest today is Abhinaya Ramesh, who is a political scientist, feminist theorist, and human rights scholar. She was awarded the British Chevning Fellowship and is currently based in Mumbai. Professor Ramesh's interests include citizens' rights and their implementation in India, India's political system, and Western political thought. We'll be discussing two of her EPW articles, and I recommend reading them. I've shared links to both in the show notes. Thank you so much for joining us. Abhinaya, a warm welcome to you. Thank you very much. So for your EPW article titled Dalit Women, Vulnerabilities and Feminist Consciousness, you cover several different sectors including manual scavenging, human trafficking, prostitution or sex work, caste-based atrocities and institutional humiliation and violence. Could you tell us about uh, this article and your research process? Because
1: uh, I was working uh, on this theme of violence against Dalit women in India. And my supervisor in Lancaster University, uh, Professor Sylvia Walby, when she told me that you need to go for the elaborate understanding of the situation of the women and violence against them, then I found that there are two layers of their violence, like uh, their subjugation. That one is, like, you know, apparently which are visible, the direct violence by the caste based patriarchy. And there are also a number of other things which are contributing to the family, which is poor amidst the majority of the villagers and only lone house located which created a trouble to them all the time. So these are all visible, apparently we can see that these are the direct uh, or let us say involvement of such processes against her and that made her more vulnerable. But while uh, doing the uh, textual analysis, I realized that uh, it's not only that but there are something else which is happening and that is under the guard of so-called upper caste, those who are enlightened, egalitarian, but they do have some processes of subordinating and that made me to go for this detailed analysis as far as the vulnerability. I developed this vulnerability model and uh, uh, in that vulnerability how they are co-complexing eventually for other people.
0: Yeah and is, is there one sector that you'd like to tell us more about that was particularly important to you during your research?
1: I will not say one specific sector, but I would say that there is one tendency of uh, the upper caste, uh, as I said, so-called enlightened women, especially from NGO sector or interagentia. Whenever they do some good work, you know, under the garb of good work, there are number of uh, layers which are basically subordinating these women. I will give you one or two illustrations. If you see the organization called VAM. You know, the name is also vamp, like something to do with Vesha and their transformation. But in that vamp organization, which is located in uh, Samli, uh, you will find that women are made to do the prostituting work. You know, there is a continuation and the circumstances which are created by these NGO leaders that you continue to do the same work. But then they, they, they did not feel that there is a possibility of making them to give education and taking them out of that prostitution. So my question to that organization is this, that don't you really have the dream of closing of that prostituting system and making these women to come in the mainstream and do better work for a korean and Hulevian ideology of making an individual as an autonomous being. So here, you will find that uh, they are consistently, this is one illustration, that they made the... Uh, the system like that the women those will go for the prostitution will have their uh, children raised by like you know crash and uh, have the education so they continue the prostitution and children will also have uh, you know their education so so these, these are basically that helps the system to continue rather than have a closure and that was my in my mind a very very deep-seated structure which are modern society to create for these women that is the intention the innate intention of such a patterns of individualization and NGO leaders to continue the system and not to end the system
0: mm-hmm. you, you you already touched on the fully Ambedkarite perspective uh, on this type of work and I'd like to know more about how this lens can be applied uh, to this context
1: I can specifically say about Dr. Bhavasa Gandhi. when his uh, Satyagraha and all these uh, mochas which were going on as a part of social movement to create awakening among the deprived sections, people in India. At that time, uh, uh, he had a meeting in Pura, which is a red light area in Mumbai. So there are some of the women, because he was also gathering the uh, public uh, you know, money for a number of social commitment and social cause. So at that time, those women said that we also would like to give some funding from us. It's Baba Sahib who said that no, I don't want this funding from you which is basically out of such exploitation. So that is a very crystal clear argument and thought which he had about this area that okay, you cannot give me that funding because it is out of exploitation. So he was very clear about sexual labour that he never wanted these women and anybody should go for sexual labour. But consistently, you will find that we try to borrow the concept of willing sexual labor of the Western people, where you have a massive democratic freedom that you can do anything as far as it is convinced by yourself. That is willing prostitution. But these women, these are working for the NGO. They bring those willing prostitution concepts under the guise of sexual labor, and they make these women the to go for the sexual work. But I think that there are two sort of sexual labor, one is willing and one is Another one is post or policy. So the caste-based prostitution which is going on there in this country is basically a post-sexual labor. Okay, you cannot attach that with these women are not aware about it. What is this uh, sexual labor or it is exploitation? So I think that borrowing the concept from the Western world as it is and trying to fix for their convenience, the convenience of the elite class of the society has consistently remained a pattern of behavior
0: we the Right. Yeah. Um, and I think that yeah. that makes sense about the fact that this is uh, that you're viewing this as an imposition on, on uh, women's women. Yes, so I wanted to also transition to a, a much broader theme that extends uh, you know beyond your article. Um, so in 2017, you gave a lecture about uh, Dr. Mm-hmm. Ambedkar's contribution to women's empowerment at Nagpur University. Uh, could we know a few highlights from your talk? I
1: would say it was a central point of this. Ideology and it it was encompassing the entire egalitarian uh, perception of the Western modernist egalitarian uh, formulations that how women need to have the emancipation and Hindu code be was the outcome of his, this perception which was not accepted by, in the initial phase of our uh, democratic formation but eventually in section wise within one or the years it was accepted uh, by the party. The point which I would like to say that what he did that. The Hindu law, Hindu court bill, which consists of the Hindu law. and Hindu law, you have two sect, sections of Hindu law, that is, Dayabhaga and Mitakshara. Now, in Dayabhaga, there is a liberty, or there, there are some uh, locations where you will find that women have the voice and the choice, especially about the inheritance of property. But when we had the Dayabhaga, where you had the inheritance of the property, you have more sati, uh, let us say aspects involved in that as a customary practice of women to follow a funeral fire of her husband after his death and that was you know at one level you had right but that right was having the consequence of such customary practice whereas Vitakshara did not have rest of the i mean the entire country had Vitakshara and west bengal and aksan they had dayabhara so you have right in these locations but you also have that right and so more uh, you know, certain processes because you don't want that woman to participate in the uh, property of her husband, so she needs to get wiped out. So what he did, he did this uh, democratization of Dharapada and Mitakshara and making it applicable into the entire territory of India, and that is a massive change in Hindu law. At the same time, he did not say only about the husband's property, but the lady will also be the property of her father. Sharing the father and a very prominent aspect of her survival because those were the days women never had education and don't, did not have uh, you know that uh, earning as as a work I mean pay, pay out of the work okay so they were completely dependent on family members so she also had sthridhar and the sthridhar was like that uh, you have uh, you know the uh, gifts which are Acquired or received at the time of the marriage, and number of ceremonies in the house to her specifically, and that used to be uh, used by the husband and his people. So, that three was outrightly for her. And Babasa tried to bring these three locations of her empowerment that making the day of her to entirely the same, and then addition of her father's property and also her student. So, if something goes wrong with her or with her husband, she can have this substantial locations where she can survive on her own without having any reliance of, uh, uh, on anyone else. So this is one thing and a uh, very prominently he made it into a uh, number of locations that how it will be acquired in the Succession and Inher- Property Inheritance Act. At the same time we will find uh, the polygamy which was considered to be the very very problematic in human practice in our society which is not okay. And then there was uh, aspects that she has more uh, locations where she can go for the divorce. at the same time in labor laws being a person one who is from the subordinated uh, sections of the society but 50 percent of the society then he also has in labor laws number of provisions and those provisions are like for you know uh, like you know uh, if a woman is working in the coal mines uh, a pregnant woman is not allowed because she is pregnant and she needs to have a number of I will, you will find contours which he has given a clear thought in Hindu court bill and the ordinary laws which are also under the constitution of India under the fundamental rights that what she, how she will get enabled and safeguarded through all these locations. Okay, family law, uh, then inheritance and succession of property, then we also have this uh, labor law where she comes under the subordinating section, subordinated section, so she will have this. Uh, you know social justice as a very valuable concept which he has used time and again not only about women but also all deprived and especially uh, working class working class in the labor okay. uh, but unfortunately i have a comment on this that uh, these are all the laws which are applicable in public sector where women who are from the world, upper caste and upper class they are utilizing and these are women from the deprived sections such as Dalit, OBC, and Adivasi are from the unorganized sector. And you know, in unorganized sector, 80% women are from these sections. So all these laws and provisions and in his intellectual capacities are being used by the public sector women. And I would say that all these women are real beneficiaries of American thought and his articulation and his comprehension, which he did for the women in. That's a
0: sad part. Of yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think um, it also was important that the changes that he brought, like the inheritance uh, changes that you've spoken about, um, have like structural changes that you have the hmm. effects of generations. But as you also importantly, uh, you know, highlight that this is uh, benefiting upper caste women and that that's the, yes. um, the part that needs to be recognized. Uh, Which he did not expect. Yes, right? yes. Yes. Yeah. And and uh, just to focus in on, on that aspect some more, uh, you've also mentioned in your article that, you know, um, that while uh, upper caste feminists have, quote, articulated the concerns of upper caste and class women as the problems of all women, they have exhibited apathy towards various struggles against atrocities on Dalit women. In the aftermath of the Kherlanji massacre, the silence exhibited by non-Dalit women was glaringly conspicuous, end quote. And you also add that, importantly, in "Quote many instances of violence against Dalit women have witnessed active participation of upper caste and class women to instigate their, wen- their men, such as Kehlanji." End quote. Could we start by understanding the role of upper caste women in sustaining, uh, you know, what you call the caste-based public patriarchy? And and we know that Ambedkar has, has written about uh, Dr. Ambedkar has written about the practice of endogamy in upholding the caste system. So I was curious about you know uh, what, what also uh, uh, Dr. Ambedkar viewed as the role of upper caste women, if if at all he wrote about that.
1: In India, we also have 1970 a very important aspect. Like we had a report from the United Nations, uh, you know, report uh, I mean, uh, to reflect to the United Nations questions about the subordination of women in India, and we had Towards yes. Equality report. So in this towards equality report, we came to the uh, real fact of factual knowledge about how women are subordinated in India. And that was also the era where you will find that Mathura rape case happened in the case of Maharashtra. And afterwards, that started reflecting in Mumbai uh, the articulation of uh, uh, Sri Mukti, Sangatana and all of the things. But my point which I'm trying to tell you that uh, from then onwards, Rape case, uh, which is basically defined and articulated conceptual framework, which took place in uh, American feminist ideas. That is what uh, the entire world, or specifically, I would say that we are also using that definition against our will, without our consent. Right. So this conceptual framework became very important, though we did not accept it uh, initially. We, uh, the entire onus of uh, proving of rape was on woman. Uh, later on, in nineteen, I think seventy-five. And in eighty, it took a turn that the onus of doing the right uh, on a man, one who is responsible for such atrocious behaviour. Uh, so what happened that from 1970, women's studies formulated because of this report towards equality, and uh, this became a specialised uh, knowledge production for women. But consistently, as I said, that these women, those who are in the women's studies, uh, made a point of working only on the themes of upper-class women and their subordination they did not take care of their section and majority women and massive subordination. You know, in a nation, if you have the massive subordination or torture, that becomes a priority rule in jurisprudence, right? But then here in India, that the dowry and uh, middle-class oriented, you know, things which were going on, taken very seriously by these women, but completely blindfolded perception towards subordination and subjugation, which these women are facing. And at the moment, you know that, there are ten rapes cases are happening in uh, case of Dalit women in India every day. Okay, so so you can imagine what happened because they did not pay attention on these women. My point is this: that from 1970 till this point, whenever we talk about Dalit women, all the speaking upper caste women will always speak, and that's a lie which is going on for last 70 years. That Dalit women face more problematic situation from their own men. That is Dalit patriarchy. Okay, that became so much focused. Out of blue, they focused it in such a manner that they said that, okay, uh, they are subordinated by their own men. And another thing is that if Dalit men are talking about the emancipation of uh, the entire Dalit community, why are they not paying attention to their women? My point is this, that Dalit women, especially the Dalit panther was a context when it happened in uh, Maharashtra in Mumbai. Uh, so that was very much... Uh, Vibrant organization, though it uh, did not short-lived, did not go beyond one years. But they, they did have universality in their articulation that it's not only for Dalit women; whoever is subordinated, we really have okay the perception of emancipation. But uh, you know that was sidelined and fixed to these women that they are not doing well. But rape molestation. Uh, every day's continuum of uh, subjugation in village, in cities, because uh, in village, she has to have the dependence on the upper caste landlords because they are working in their farms and they had to go for this negotiation and under that, they had to be victim of rape, molestation and some such, uh, you know, inhuman uh, behaviour patterns of the so-called upper caste. So these, these were not for the analysis in their women's studies. Uh, the analysis was completely shifted from her individual, uh, shifted to her individual domain that her man is responsible for her subordination. I fully agree that there is no, uh, I mean, uh, uh, I also have a context of Gail Homewood when she said that uh, uh, that the subordination of the lit man is basically when he started taking education and imitating upper caste man's behavior with her. With his wife and they started behaving like this with their men otherwise 70 years before both the lit man and woman they were co-workers this is the word of their own right? that they were co worker in the field and they were made for each other in the same place to look after because both of them were subordinated by India's caste practices okay as untouchable uh, so i would say that and we also have Dalit history that women are not much subordinated with on, on the contrary, they were much understood uh, by their own family. So, I also would say that by these upper caste women and their articulations saying consistently that the man is a very important set point for her subordination is basically, uh, you know, like making her lonely within the house if she faces uh, some sort of, uh, you know, subordination of caste-based public patriarchy. So by saying this, because most of these educated Dalit women, though they are in minuscule minority, so they cannot have influence on the rest of the Dalit uh, women, but they are, you know, such as you will find at uh, Dalit uh, biographies, they are consistently talking how their man was about it. Uh, they do talk about the caste system, but uh, the focus is more on man. So uh, upper caste women are successful um, with these illustrations that see Gurmila See other women from the community how their men are subordinate and not class-based public patriarchy so this is nothing but shifting the attention of the most heinous crimes to the uh, domain of home okay that that is a lie produced by the knowledge production uh, in our society from the last 70 years which has not happened anywhere in the world
0: and uh, during this time you know that we were speaking about uh, earlier um, you know there was it wasn't that Uh, uh, Dalit women were not uh, collectivizing and responding in their own ways. Uh, In another article, you've written about uh, how Dalit women built their own autonomous movements uh, in the aftermath of the Kheilanji massacre and during the Chalo Nagpur campaign in 2017 uh, that marked uh, Sabitri Bhai uh, Phule's 110th uh, Remembrance Day. Um, So I I wanted to know more about uh, this process of how uh, Dalit women built their autonomous movements in the aftermath of
1: uh, um, as Gopal would has said in 1992 article, Dalit women speak more differently. Okay. Uh, I would say that uh, in 1990, that uh, there were some of the organizations, independent autonomous organizations, based in Mumbai, based in Nagpur. Uh In that, area, that uh, these women are not taking or highlighting our issues. Now, uh, rape, molestation, and subordination of Dalit women was also those days, but media was not that active. As a result, you will find that reported cases, unreported cases was a big issue, now also we have Uh, but you will find that from 1992 onwards the women started speaking differently and from from 2006 after the uh, Kailanji case, we have altogether different domain but I would say that uh, you see um, even in 1992 the clashes and the bomb blast and also the uh, you know, uh, what is that after the collapse of the Babri machine the articulations from women to resist and protest started taking place in mumbai i have seen uh, in santa cruz area uh, and also the 1997 uh, context of the uh you know this ghat Koper, uh, shootout at dalit basti and killing of 12 people from the community uh, randomly by army officer okay and there was no reason so At that time, you will find Dalit women not having any leadership, but they were more on the streets for the protest. So they are always there. And you see so many photographs and so many articulations of uh, Baba Sahibsa, you know, those uh, social movements which he was doing, all uh, protest movements, uh, whether it is Showdar tank in Mahar or in Mumbai or number of other locations where he did. Dalit women are always uh, actively. Involved in those process, and they never had that you know uh, crisis that they wanted to have the leadership. Okay, uh, and uh, Babasa also did not frame uh, something different to women, like you know, the present political parties you always have a Mahila group in the, the same party, mainstream parties. So, baba San never felt that because Dalit culture is not really considering women as something different, they are always with the family. On the contrary, you see in uh, 16th century. Uh, saintly expressions by um, Saint Sukhamra, one who was from the Mahar community and his wife. Wife is asking more pertinent questions than Sukhamra, that is Bai. And uh, Bai was uh, consistently asking that why are you doing all these things to uh, this community from the upper caste when they don't give you any response or any respect. So she's more articulate and more direct and more philosophical. In our household, I'm not uh, talking about anything else, but I come from... Uh, the coastal region of uh, Thar district, and uh, especially from Udhampur, uh, we don't have segregation of women uh, and uh, separately uh, dealing with women. We all have collective, uh, collective, I would say, uh, you know, cultural upbringing of man and woman in the family. Maybe uh, Thar district is much more influenced by the tribal, uh, you know, uh, culture. So we are very much at ease with each other, and nobody is superior, nobody is subordinate. Uh, so Dalit uh, uh, women. Uh, normally, raised in the house on equal footings, that I would say. Uh, but that does not mean uh, inculcating this patriarchal concept of the upper caste and upper class, so called civilization, on them. Because another aspect I would say that they have always lived in Gaon Pusa means what? They were not in the village. They are always outside the village. So, that village culture of subordination did not get reflected, did not get reflected on uh, these women. As a result, you will find that uh, the, the we are slightly close to the tribal culture because tribals were also egalitarian among their men and women. Okay. So that that is the point which I wanted to say here. And
0: um, along with several other scholars, you've also, uh, you know, uh, tried to develop this Dalit feminist consciousness and you've underscored the importance of Phule, Ambedkarian critical perspectives. Um, yes. So I was curious about the, and you know, you've spoken, you've given uh, talks uh, also earlier, I noticed on uh, Savitri and Jyoti Rao Phule. So uh, I was interested in knowing the kind of impact that, uh, you know, uh, both both of these thinkers and uh, and actors have had on, uh, on Dr. Ambedkar and, you know, the, the process uh, of formulating and building this critical perspective over the years?
1: Oh yeah, Phulean uh, ideology has always become a very fundamental aspect of uh, American ideology that his study was from the Scottish high school in Puring in and in Scottish high school he first critiqued Bible, okay, Christianity. So, so you can see that uh, Western education gives you this and also gives criticality. As a result you will find that fully was a perfect person, one who went in that school, but did not have influence of Christianity. On the contrary, he started critiquing, and that critical perception of his life became a very important domain that that not to take anything as it is, but have the critical age towards that uh, existing knowledge. And that is how uh, he wrote on his uh, articles uh, and books, uh, and on a number of uh, occasions, he was uh, trying to give, uh, you know, some of the articulations which are outrightly different uh, uh, as far as his contemporary uh, era is concerned, uh, I would say it's it's also became a part of my uh, articulation that uh, the way you we had Plato in Western civilization, you we also have uh, dialogical knowledge production system of Buddha over here. So I would say that simultaneously, the Eastern knowledge production, which is which we call it now as Oriental and Occidental, both are going on hand in hand. Could be human civilizations where developing on equal footings. So the way in 1848, people were started talking about in, uh, the rights of uh, women in Western world, that is in America, here Fule was same year 1848, he started opening school for girls. So so you will find that modernist approach, which was developing in both the uh, East, East and West simultaneously. And that I feel a very, very great aspect and that influenced our side very much. Buddha's uh, egalitarian and scientific perception towards man's life and rationality. Uh, whatever he says, he doesn't say without substantiation, and uh, that is outrightly Buddha Charvaka traditions. Uh, Buddha never allowed anything giving in a sermon form, but Buddha is basically following the dialogue between his, uh, you know, younger, uh, 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 I mean, pupils, those who were there in the monasteries. So, so here you will find that that taking also the opinion of other individual in an equal footing was considered to be the philosophy and that reflects in Fulevian ideology, that reflects in American ideology, uh, which is I would say a massively western-oriented knowledge production that they don't say anything just because they say or they felt it that way okay.
0: Yeah. I think it was also important that you highlighted the impact that uh, that the follies have had on uh, Dr. Ambedkar's um, uh, emphasis on on reason and uh, the need to be hum hum uh, like hum like you know have humility and be critical of uh, the theories and knowledge that one is you know uh, given with and how that impacts. Uh, representations of and and concern about uh, like sexual violence today Um, and you know as a as a professor trained in law and human rights uh, you've written about the quote specificity of subjugation suffered by Dalit women should reflect in the provisions of laws family civil and criminal as well as those related to atrocities end quote so I was curious about the role that law that you see that law can play in addressing the violence and humiliation of uh, Dalit women uh, particularly, you know, maybe uh, your own perspectives and Dr. Ambedkar's perspectives about this.
1: My contention is that that in each and every law, when it is committed on a woman, and if the woman is from that particular uh, location of uh, the lead community or deprived section, one who never had anybody to fall back as far as their subordination is concerned, they should always go for uh, you know saying that okay, the person is from the specific sector, so she is more impacted, and so she is more. Vulnerable. My vulnerable model is what that because she is from that vulnerable section, whatever she feels like fighting on her own, alone individual cannot fight. They do have this kind of, uh, you know, articulation uh, that they were fighting for themselves alone. You see the surekha putman the only village girl, one who was consistently fighting against the villagers those who were trying to to subordinate her or trying to take her property. But here you will find that. Um, all these laws are not having nowhere caste specificity and that is also that what happened after Nirbhaya case, what we say in feminist uh, theory that the along with the men's women, others are add-on category. Now, Dalit, Adivasi and OBC women have always remained as add-on category in case of India and this add-on category means what? That they are also, when their subordination, their violence against them is so massive, okay, so massivity is completely ignored and given more in uh, you know, a priority to the uh, to the subordination of the privileged section women of the society so i would say that in each one of each of the, these laws there has to be a provision about a caste okay if, because if she is from that specific caste she is going to face number of uh, subordinations because she is from that location and people know i have developed also one theoretical formulation that there is a social safeguarding from upper caste women and there is social vulnerability or exploitation and violence against Dalit women. That in public domain when someone knows that a lady is from the Brahmin community, people will not dare to attack her. But when they come to know that a person is from the lower caste, okay, you can take a chance. So this kind of uh, perception with the patriarchy has in their mind is because of the caste system, right? In Varma report I would say that initially when it was published it published only 10 points program of Verma report. In that nowhere you will find the caste location. But if you see now the report, the caste is considered to be an add-on category. So I would say that it's not only the India. There has to be something like if you have to control of the subordination and violence against the women in India, we have to have some assistance and help from the other countries' women and they are ready to do that. And that I would say comes under a very important concept formulated by Floya Ewell Davis, that is transversal politics, okay, for women's coalitions and women's, uh, let us say, development of their articulation. That if the women of the upper caste are unable to offer justice to the, and they don't want, it's not that they cannot, they can, but they don't want the apathy towards them, which we have seen with number of evidences in articulation of 70 years women's studies, uh, let us say, uh, works where you will not find that the, the living woman became a center point of their analytical category but there are women those who want to work for this from abroad and i think that we should uh, reach to them and they will reach to us for sisterhood because internal sisterhood is completely you know influenced by the caste of behavior
0: yeah i think the aspect of add-on category just Uh, really shines uh, in a lot of different places where it just becomes like okay uh, you know at the last minute just you know add on a a specific speaker or a specific uh, article on on that focuses on um, Dalit women for the sake of like a token kind of uh, uh, representation if at all. Um, so the last question that I wanted to ask you before we head to the quick rapid fire round is about some of the unanswered questions that you invest that you hope to investigate in your future research on uh, Dr. Ambedkar or uh, women's empowerment uh, and Dalit feminisms, any of these areas. It's
1: not unanswered questions but I would say that I know by now what went wrong, what happened out knowledge produced about the women with adult category and uh, and the concept of incommensurability that okay, they are different, we are different, and so we, we will not have that. My, my worry at this particular juncture of uh, Indians, uh, Dalit women, is this that uh, the new generation, those who are working in a very established structures, you have the example of IIT, but apart from IIT, you have DISS, you have uh, also IIT's uh, social science oriented perception and institutions where Dalit women, those who go for knowledge production and doing their PhD and research work, they are completely under the subordination of their supervisors, those who are from the upper caste. And these Dalit women are speaking the language of their supervisors. What I mean here that they speak the language of uh, superior, uh, I mean, the language of the supervisor means, um, I'll give you one example that recently there was a talk by uh, one young person, one who is from the IIT Delhi, and speaking under the Rosa Luxemburg Stiftung, uh, that sort of thing, webinar was there. And while saying that uh, uh, she was, she, uh, the, uh, the issue was about violence against Dalit women, so it was very close to my research, so I had a point of attending. And then I realized that uh, she started saying that, uh, you know, uh, the great leaders like Rosa Luxemburg and Dr. B.R. Ambedkar, I realized. That I have developed so far the concept of brahminical surveillance that our knowledge is produced under the brahminical surveillance though I have not written it elaborately uh, but I am under the process of writing on this that how we are all under the surveillance the way I said about caste nepotism. Uh, so we are all under the surveillance of brahminical perception about the knowledge production. How to ignore somebody when he is very very important and all etc. So she said first about Rosa Luxemburg because she was giving lecture under the Rosa Luxemburg spectrum. Now this is a complete international subordination, I would say, is shifting my uh, surveillance of Brahminical surveillance towards international uh, surveillance. Rosa Luxemburg would not expect such thing, but what has happened last 50 years, women from upper caste, diaspora I'm talking about, and women from lower caste also, those who imitate diaspora, they carry all these subordinating perceptions and locations over there, and as if they're teaching, I know that they also have the surveillance, and that's the reason the surveillance... Uh, established by Michel Foucault and also Jeremy Bentham in 18th century, but I would say that uh, these women are under their surveillance. So they are teaching how to, uh, I mean, surveil upon uh, to the westerners, which is a basic flaw, And as a result, you will find that westerners have also received the knowledge that how in India these are the practices, though they are very rational, they, though they, they don't give uh, much uh, attention to such things. But I would say that new generation without having uh, depth of the knowledge, reading anything about anything, and they speak and they articulate, which is absolutely irrational and, uh, let us say, without, uh, you know, uh, emancipatory practices. So this is my take on the contemporary Dalit articulations that you last 20 years, that you try to write, which will appeal and appease upper caste edit class. And there is a failure of knowledge production for emancipation and for, um, you know, a uh, social transformation which was a forte of Dr. Baba Abambilkar and Bolivian ideology. Okay, So these guys are producing the knowledge on the diktat of the upper caste because publication has become another domain of domination that we will publish only that which you will critique your own community and keeping aside the culprit section of the society, those who are responsible for the entire damage, a civilizational conspiracy against the Dalit, Adivasi and OBC community of these countries, okay, and other minorities, religious or uh, cultural, okay. So so what I'm trying to say that my area is to take, uh, as I told you that I also have um, engagement with, to understand Plato over there, Aristotle over there, 1848 American uh, Seneca Falls proposal and 1848 Bolivian uh, understanding of school for girls. So these are my consistent understanding. but. Uh, very focused and uh, uh, and very much required is how to have the emancipation of the women.
0: Yes. And uh, to transition to the rapid fire round, uh, where we have just three questions, where we would like brief uh, responses. So like, uh, you know, like uh, quick questions and quick responses, uh, just to get your like initial and uh, brief thoughts. So uh, what is one aspect of Dr. Ambedkar's writing and actions that you would like to learn more about?
1: I would like to uh, learn about his constitutional morality. Uh, what he, he takes it from the, since I'm from political science, uh, I would like to take a grip of this idea of constitutional morality.
0: Yeah. And what is one thing that you're skeptical about in Dr. Ambedkar's work?
1: I don't have skepticism about his uh, work because he's a very vibrant person and I uh, did not care because you uh, see his one. Uh, uh, small video of BBC where there itself you come to know that how straightforward he was, and I would like to become straightforward. Because one who becomes straightforward doesn't care for what mileage if you get. You know that that is a very bad thing with the elite, those who are in the elite class. They have become status quo to that for some uh, you know uh, interest vested interest of their personal or otherwise. Uh, they keep aside sensitive uh, sensibility and do something for others' favor. That that Baba have never did. So I said that I'm not sceptical about his everything but I would like to become like him. Uh,
0: what is one recommendation that you have to further and unify fragmented social movements?
1: I would say that we all have to nurture the encompassing practices which we don't have. Our Every festival is different for different communities when only in the, at the time of the politics we have that collective agenda. So that should not happen. I would say that collective principles of humanitarian level or uh, you know that emancipatory level should take place and education is a first parameter I would say which teaches that. Uh,
0: I just want to thank you uh, a lot for joining us on Research Radio. We covered a lot of ground and I think we were, we got a chance to go really deep in a lot of topics um, so so thank you uh, uh, Professor Abhinaya Ramesh.
1: Thank you. Thank you very much.
0: I hope you enjoyed listening to that conversation with Abhinaya Ramesh and consider exploring her articles for more insights. Research Radio will be back with a new episode on Wednesday as part of our new series that explores multiple dimensions of Dr. Ambedkar's thought and practice one week after another. Take care.